I'm talking this morning on the living God. And of course, on Resurrection Sunday, as we remember that Jesus Christ was raised again from the dead, remember that was not the first time life was operating. God is the living God. He's alive. He's real. And he can break into your life today and you can meet him. He can turn things around and your life can never be the same again when he's done that. Now, I need to explain before we come to Acts chapter 3 where I'm going to read that I'm breaking into a story just to select some principles that we can draw from those early days after the resurrection the Holy Spirit has been outpoured and the disciples and fellow apostles were amongst the people witnessing to the resurrection of Jesus Christ and a notable miracle had taken place outside of the house of God. A lame man who was begging at that place received his healing and he, he ran in with Peter and John and he wouldn't let them go and here is something of the furore that, that took place. We break in at verse 11. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people utterly astounded ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety, we have made him walk. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. You never know what God is going to do. But there are certain things you can be sure that he will do as he moves amongst us. And that is a healing in your body. This week, we did pray a little bit in the, along these lines, but people were being healed just in the service. One lady is given testimony of being healed from arthritis just in the Good Friday service in the presence of God. If you have a physical need in your body today, get ready, be expectant because God can touch you right where you are. Now, a notable miracle had taken place. And I want to set the context. God is alive. Jesus is alive. The book of Acts is well after the crucifixion and resurrection. It begins in chapter 1 with Jesus saying goodbye. He's going back to the Father, but he said, I'm not going to leave you on your own because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes, he will so perfectly represent me that everything that I did while I was amongst you will continue to happen. And more than this, it will happen through you. 
because my spirit is with you. And so here we have this miracle. What did it open up to? What, what, what was the result? A crowd gathered, and then Peter used the opportunity to preach. Now, I want you to just take a step back and think about this. Those early disciples were ordinary people. By that, I mean they were not particularly educated. Many of them weren't educated at all. Uh, most of those early disciples, the followers of Jesus, had no money. They were not wealthy. They were not business people. Very few, if any, had positions of authority in government or political authority. They didn't even have experience to draw from. We, we are highly privileged in the 21st century because we can look back on 2,000 or more years of Christian experience to see how our forefathers handle things. And the testimony, even in this very place of more than 100 years ago, when God moved in this house, it was a congregational chapel, and the Pentecostals came in, took it over, and the place was packed, and from here, intercession was made from all over the world. Number one, Kensington Park Road, which is still the property of Kensington Temple, was the place where the originator of our movement lived, and he would pray every day at 12 o'clock, right for people right across the world to be healed, and many were, and healings and miracles that took place in this building made front page news in London newspapers. We can look back on that and we say the God who did that can do it again. We can go further back into the last century but one where we have Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher there in the Metropolitan Tabernacle. He was such a powerful popular preacher. He drew crowds, thousands and thousands of people, and they were born again and received resurrection life and faith as the Holy Spirit touched them. London was shaken. He was so influential that in his funeral cortege, as they processed through the streets of London, if you take the proportions of London population then uh, and now, you could say that there were as many people proportionately who came out to Charles Haddon Spurgeon's funeral as those who came out to the streets when Diana, the Princess of Wales, was buried. Extraordinary person. We can go back further a couple of hundred years here in Great Britain when the Wesley, the Wesley brothers, many of the hymns that we sing or used to sing and sing again from time to time, the great hymns, were written by... Charles Wesley, his brother John Wesley, was a revivalist, and he shook this nation, and it is arguable that he brought this nation back from the brink of civil war because of the poverty and the decadence that there was around, and God shook Great Britain, and we can think even before that, and all over the world, and in the 20th century, revivals in different parts of the world, some of which I've had the privilege of witnessing, I remember the Brazilian revival more than 20 years ago when up to 3 million, depends on how, 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 who counted how many there were, but there were certainly in excess of 1, 2 million people gathered for the March for Jesus through the streets of Sao Paulo, and I was privileged to preach to that crowd. Many of them couldn't hear, only 400,000 could hear through the loudspeakers, but it was broadcast live on radio and television, and the Word of God touched the nation. 
we thank God for the experience that we can draw on when we are faced and confronted with the challenges that face us in our generation. But these early believers never had that experience. They were going where no one had gone before. They were the original Star Trekkers because nothing like this had happened before. But what did they have that made the big difference? Of course, we can talk about the Holy Spirit. The book of Acts is the story of what God did, what Jesus did through apostles and the believers of that generation by the Holy Spirit. And of course, yes, they had the Holy Spirit, and that is absolutely key. But let's just back up a little bit. They had something which we struggle to hold with the same level of reality in our minds. They had faith in the resurrection. Now, I'm, I'm sure we all have faith in the resurrection. We've been singing it, and for the most part, as I can tell, many of you are singing that from your heart. So you know and believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. But I, I'm not just talking about that kind of knowledge that we have. I'm talking about living in the reality of it. I mean, they had walked with Jesus. They had followed Jesus, the twelve and others, throughout the three, three and a half years of his public ministry while he was on this earth, and they knew him, and they witnessed his crucifixion, and now they discovered that not he was no longer dead, but that he was alive, and God sent an angelic messenger. Don't mess with God, and don't even ask for a messenger like that, because you will look like you died, and maybe you'll even think you've died and gone to heaven. This was an awesome angel that brought an earthquake, a shaking, and he rolled the stone away. No human hands, angelic hands, rolled the stone away and said, don't be afraid, come and look. He's not here. He is risen. And this is one of the hallmarks of the authenticity of the New Testament record, the fact was this, that women were the first witnesses. Now, no, don't say yes. There's a bit of a shock because you say yes. You say, of course. But we live in the 21st century. We live in the era of human rights and equality between the sexes and gender. But back in that day, do you know that a woman's testimony was not worth anywhere as much as a man's testimony? Don't look at me. Don't blame me. That was the culture of that day. Thank God that when Jesus comes, he makes all things equal, neither male nor female. We're all one in Christ Jesus. But if you were inventing a gospel to say, I want the world to believe this, let's make it up. How can we make it sound authentic? Well, first of all, we'll have the most important men of the city, forget the women, the most important men, and they will believe these men because they are men and not women. They are men and important. But God had a big smile on his face that send the women, send the women. And the women were the first witnesses. And that shows us not only what God thinks about women, but it also shows that the, these early gospel writers were not making it up. Indeed, to stand up in those days in Jerusalem, uh, the man who had been rejected by the highest authority in the Jewish nation, the highest court, the Sanhedrin, and the, they, those people had power they had power and they had weaponry uh, backing them up. Anybody that stood up and said, Jesus Christ is alive, 
Well, it was more than your life was worth. You better know, number one, that you are bold enough to declare it, and number two, that you are telling the truth. They were telling the truth. This was not alternative facts. This was not the era of the modern fake news stories. This was fact. They said, we had seen him, and we know it is true. And because they knew that Jesus was alive, that fresh testimony hit the city, and soon the news that Jesus Christ was alive, even if people didn't fully understand it, was everywhere. But it was not just that they were able to testify to the fact of it. I think many people may intellectually accept something, but you see, fact is not faith. Fact is the beginning of faith. When you come to faith, you commit your whole life to it. It's, it's like the story of Blondin, the, the famous tightrope walker, and he walked across the Niagara Falls, of course, on a wire that was suspended there. And he wheeled a barrow to and fro. And then he said, I invite you to sit in this barrow, and I'll wheel you across. And they said, thank you, but no thank you. Nobody would do it. So he said, don't you believe that I can do this? Oh, yeah, we've seen you do it. Well, why don't you do it? Why don't you, why don't you take me up on the offer? See, it's one thing to believe that something is true, but it's another thing personally to commit yourself to it. That is the call of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not only that we believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, not only that we believe that God raised him from the dead, but that we commit our life to him. And these people were nothing unless they were 100% committed. And so that's what they had. And that's what we can have as we allow the Holy Spirit's witness to touch our hearts and to know the Easter story of resurrection is not on the same level as Easter bunnies, chickens, chocolate, eggs. But thank you for those that came up to the office with the eggs this morning. So, what I want to say today is that um, it should not surprise us that God raised Jesus from the dead. Here our passage describes him as the author of life the prince of life. And so the mystery is how he could ever die. The mystery is not how he could be raised from the dead. That's easy after we acknowledge who he really is. Because our God is the living God. That means so, many, so much to us today. When we think of how the Bible describes the God of the Bible, there are many great descriptions. I love this one. It's my favorite. God is love. It doesn't say love is God, but God is love. He is all loving. God is almighty. He's all powerful. God is holy and righteous. All these descriptions are descriptions of God, but they would mean nothing without this one. He is the living God. What does that mean? It means, first of all, he's real. He's very real. You know, so many people think that faith is about 
your opinion. It's about your little reality. This is my faith. This is what I see, what I feel, what I think, what I believe. And then somebody else say, oh, that's interesting. How nice for you. But this is what I think. This is what I feel. This is what I believe. And everybody's walking around saying, that's what you believe. That's what I believe. You have your truth. I have my truth. And the matter stays there. And our society would have us believe that that's the only way we should approach matters of faith. They're not matters of fact. They're matters of opinion. But the resurrection is not a matter of opinion. It's a matter of fact. If Jesus was raised from the dead, then the statement, Jesus is alive, is true for everybody, whether they accept it or not. So when we say that God is alive, he's the living God, we mean he is real. He actually exists. And in his existence, he is one who is active. A living thing is active. And that's what people are afraid of. They say, I don't mind having a God putting him in the box. We'll even put him on the box. We'll call it the God slot. But don't let him out into the streets. Don't let him out into the corridors of power. Don't let him out into the places of education or business or industry. Keep him all locked up because after all, he's just a little God. No, 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 no. Our God is alive and he won't be put into a box. Watch out. He will get out of his box today. He will touch your life. He will show you that he's alive, show you that he is real. And every other God or so-called God is false. Now, uh, often in the prophetic writings of the Old Testament, the phrase the living God occurs within the context of declaring that the gods of the nations were the invention of human minds and human hands. And God was calling his people back to the worship of the one and of the true and the living God. And, and today God is calling us back to the worship of the one true and living God, the God of the Bible, the God who sent Jesus Christ into the world. One of the prophetic writings, it's, it's satirical, and it's, humor, it's got humor in it, but it also is tragic. He describes the woodman coming in from the forest, dragging a tree trunk with him, and saying, hmm, what a nice piece of wood, what shall I do? So he chops up one end and makes a fire, warms himself, gives some to his wife. She cooks a meal. Looks at the other piece, says, oh, that's nice too. So he chops the same piece of wood off the other end and he shapes it and carves it into an image and puts gold on it and bows down to this graven image. You don't have to do that to a physical object to be an idolater. If we hold to anything, anyone, more than we hold to Christ. We are detracting from his glory and we are worshiping a false God. The Apostle John, in one of his letters, smiles. I don't know that he smiled, but the love shines through. So surely he was smiling and says, little children, keep yourselves free from idols. And that's why we, our concept and understanding of God must be shaped by the biblical revelation where God reveals himself. So he is 
the living God. And because he's the living God, it means he can do stuff and will do stuff. He breaks into your life. He is the God who speaks, who makes himself known, who reveals himself. He is the God who acts powerfully. He is the God who creates all things. He is the God who saves you. He is the God who purposes the end from the beginning in control of all things. He is the God who defends against the enemy. He answers the deepest longings of your heart that no fake God can ever do. He intervenes in history and indeed is the Lord of it. He sends his son into the world. He justifies those who believe. He judges the nations. He revives the humble and contrite in spirit. And he raises Jesus from the dead. Give him a big praise in this house this morning. And so as we go back to this passage and imagine what it was like in those very early days and long for those days to come back, to long for those notable miracles and manifestations of God which shake a city and long for the boldness of men and women, ordinary men and women, maybe those who have been particularly called into church leadership but also ordinary men and women who will be bold for Christ and to stand for the resurrection and to say, my God is not dead, he is alive. We long for that. And I want to just run you through three things that they had and they experienced which made all the difference. Number one, they gave witness to the crucifixion of Jesus. And here is the real mystery. Because, you know, if Jesus is God, how could he die? God cannot die. How can Jesus die if Jesus is God? How can he die? Indeed, how can he need to sleep, to eat? How can he even pray to the Father if he is God? How can he do these things? Well, the answer is very simple, profound, but simple. He is not only God. He is the God-man, fully God, fully human, two natures. When he came into this world, he brought his divine nature with him, of course, but he added to that divine nature another nature, a human nature, and Jesus was as fully human as though he had ne never been God, and he was as fully God as though he had never become human. Two natures flourishing in one person. So when we say that Jesus died, we're talking about his human nature. And there he offered his life as a sacrifice for sin. We spent time on that on Good Friday. Get back that message. It'll be online soon if you missed it. And they knew that he died. They didn't fully understand why he died because it, go, it was counterintuitive. They didn't really understand the prophetic passages of Scripture that testified to them, as they do to us, that the Savior, the Messiah, would come 
and that he would die for the sins of the world. It is everywhere in Scripture. The prophetic sacrifices of the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 53, which says that he dies and he, was, he poured out his soul unto death for us that we might be saved. But they didn't understand that. They were so fixed on this idea that Messiah would immediately and triumphantly deliver them from their political bondage and from the occupation of the land of Israel, from the foreign forces and the foreign government of Rome. And they said the Messiah is going to set the nation free. But you cannot have freedom, whether it's political freedom or any other form of freedom, that really counts more than the freedom from sin in your life. That's what it's all about. Jesus Christ came to set you free from the penalty, the power, and even one day the very presence of sin. He is the Savior of mankind, and He will save you for your, from your sins. And they witnessed the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And when the resurrection happened, that's the second thing. When the resurrection happened, they made sense of it all. We see it here. As Jesus appears to those women and then to those first disciples, he said, get them to go to Galilee because that's where I'm going to meet them. And Jesus appeared to them in such a way that it was an infallible proof that he was no longer dead. Yes, he was dead. He still had the nail marks in his hands. He was dead, but now he's alive. They saw him. They ate with him. And these were the very first words of the gospel. The gospel writings were, were late, later, came later on. Uh, it's credible to believe that every single one of them was written by A.D. 70. It's a credible view. Every single one of them was written by A.D. 70 within a generation of living memory. But within weeks, 36 months at the most, the gospel was being preached in its entirety that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He, was, he died and was buried and was raised again from the dead. The gospel story was intact from the beginning. We read in Matthew chapter 27 how that when those early disciples saw the resurrected Christ, their one response apart from being filled with fear and awe and joy was to fall on their faces before him and worship him. Now, don't forget that these were Jewish believers. And that's very special because they were taught that they should bow down to no one except the one true and the living God, Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament. He is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. They would bow down to no one. They wouldn't even say his name out loud because it was so awesome. And yet, and to worship somebody like Jesus, what changed their mind? Why it was the resurrection. The resurrection demonstrated the truthfulness of everything that Jesus ever said. It made sense of everything that he did. It validated his claims to be the Messiah, to be the Son of God, to be the Savior of the world. And it also validated his divinity. And so that's why they would worship him and know that it was not blasphemy. They were worshiping God manifested in the flesh. So the first thing is the crucifixion. But... That would have meant nothing if Jesus had remained in the tomb. 
Think about it. What would it have been like if Jesus preached his gospel of love, spoke about the kingdom of heaven, taught the Sermon on the Mount, did his miracles, gave his parables, but was finally rejected because he hit up against the religious institutions of the day. And then they crucified him. And they put him in a tomb. And that's the end of the story. Would we have even heard about it? No way. Don't forget that that part of the world was obscure. It was the outpost. Any person from Rome who was sent there to take authority there was sent the short straw. He would have died in obscurity and we would never have heard about him. I don't think we would. Maybe somebody would dig up some pot shirt somewhere in the Middle East and, hmm, who was this Jesus? They would not know. But what changed everything was that he did not stay in the tomb, but he was raised again from the dead. And that validated and vindicated every claim he made. So everybody said, remember what he said, write it down, tell other people about it. And they collected those stories together and they were published in the presence of eyewitnesses who were there and, and who could say, yep, you got that bit right. Yeah, this is the truth. So the resurrection made the very big difference. And the resurrection also led on to something else. In the book of Acts chapter 1, Jesus has spent around six weeks uh, spending time with his disciples. Fifty days, to be precise. And uh, in the resurrection appearances, he was hanging around a bit so that they could really, really know and believe that he was alive from the dead. And then he said to them, I'm going. I'm going. I'm going back to the Father. And he was bodily lifted up, glorified in the presence of God. And that's where he has been ever since. He is there now. And he's waiting for the command of the Father to say, Son, now is the time. Go back, not as a suffering Savior, but as the all-conquering King. That's the second coming of Jesus Christ which is drawing nearer and nearer. I don't know when, but I have an insight into this. Are you ready for this big insight? It is one day closer today than it was yesterday. <laughs> but Jesus also said, you're not disadvantaged when I go away. Because if I go away, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit who is so exactly like me, the divine third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, he will come and he will remain with you forever. And because he is on you and he is in you, the works that I have done, I will continue to do, but the difference is I will do it through you, through your life. You will be my witnesses. And that is on us today. If we believe we have the right to celebrate his resurrection, then we have to accept the responsibility today 
in the power of the Holy Spirit to be his witnesses. God wants to use you to be bold, to do your homework, and to say, I've looked at this, and you know what? This is no made-up story. It is real. Jesus is alive. And because he's alive, I can have a personal relationship with him. And because the living God raised Christ, who is the living Savior, lives in us by the Holy Spirit, who is the Spirit of resurrection, not only can God break into your life, it's too late. He's there already. And if he's in your life, he can shake it up. And he can change stuff that needs to be changed. He can work in your family. He can work in your household. He can work amongst your relatives. Even that auntie that is a pain in the proverb. Anyway, that lady, he can touch her. And he can work in your, through your boss. He can work through you in your workplace. Because we are living witnesses. However, just because he is present with us today, it doesn't mean he's automatically in your life, for there is a response, and the response is to say, I open my heart, I say, yes, Lord Jesus, I believe you are my Savior, I believe you are my Lord, and I accept this as gospel truth, and then you pray a prayer like this, Lord Jesus Christ, Thank you for dying in my place upon the cross. Thank you for being raised again to be my assurance in the Father's presence. I put my trust in you. I don't just believe that you are alive. I commit my life to it. Every head bowed, every eye closed. The spirit of salvation is in this house today. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Consolidators ready. Primary 12 leaders also be ready with salvation packs in your hand. All over this place, to every single person, I address this personal question. Do you know Jesus Christ personally? Have you come to that place in your life where you have committed your life to Christ and experienced that new life that he gives you as a free gift. Heaven, you know, is not a reward. You can't earn it. You will never deserve it. It's not about being good. It's about putting your trust in Christ. And so today, if you've never done that, do it right now. Say in your heart, Lord Jesus Christ, I put my trust in you. I receive you into my heart to be my personal Savior. Come in, Lord Jesus. Change me from the inside out. Wash all my sins away and make me a new person. I surrender and bow the knee to King Jesus, my resurrected Lord. Amen and amen. Amen.